It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's George. Ohio Hello. State goes goes to West Lafayette. All right. A, to a, die. A, that's right. To die. A phrase that would normally, I think, send shivers down your spine. I actually was pretty, I was pretty chill about this. I don't believe in jinxes. I don't believe in hoaxes. I do believe in hoaxes. I don't believe in jinxes. Um, well, the crazy, the crazy thing that I realized, like looking at the last like 20 years that they've played at West Lafayette before this game is that they, Purdue, either doesn't get out of single digits yeah. or they score at least four times. <laughs> so it's like, okay, they're either going to make it way more competitive than it should be, or this right. is just going to be another booty blasting. And guess what happened? Yeah. So the latter happened. And, you know, the thing is Purdue has been <laughs> insanely the most difficult out for Ohio state in the past, like 20 years if on you look the road. At the, I would agree. Yes. Yeah. If you look at the big 10 uh, as a whole, uh, Purdue has somehow been the the nemesis, the arch nemesis on the road for the Buckeyes. So going to West Lafayette, if you were a little bit nervous about it, I can understand that. However, and also Purdue Pete is the creepiest mascot in the Big Ten. By super far. creepy, super creepy. Um, just those dead, unblinking eyes. Um, but you know what? Ohio State goes into West Lafayette. They kick the crap out of Purdue. You're down to your ostensibly four-string running back. Doesn't matter. You figure out a way to get him involved and everybody active. You do some creative stuff in the red zone with your backup quarterback. Um, I this was an entertaining yeah, that fumble game. was real creative, huh? It was creative because Dallin Hayden had it in his breadbasket and said, "Nah." I don't oh want it. God, they threw it away. Those, they got to do some fall on it drills. That drove me nuts more than the fumble did, honestly. No, I mean, the fumble The fumble happens. It was actually a great play call, um, but we'll get into some of that here in a second. Sure. Here's what I'll say, all right? I was pretty down on the running game last week, and I, I do think that— You and, um, like, every other Ohio State fan, I got chewed out in the comments last week because I was being a homer about the run game. Which is fair because they only ran for 1.9 yards uh, per carry. Yeah, the, the, with, the, that the, said, the, with that said, with that said, my—, my uh, position last week was either you do something crazy or you just stop all the pretense and become an air raid team. Well, they did some things that weren't super crazy, but they definitely got creative. And they I did something that. crazy and they went to their fourth string running back. Well, right. And that wasn't by choice. They, they had to, you know, bring in Dallin Hayden because uh, your, your top two guys are, I guess your top, top guy and your third guy are injured. Uh, Chip gets hurt in the first quarter and then Dallin Hayden comes in and runs for almost seven yards carry. And what they were doing, they were doing misdirection. They were stretching it to the boundary. They were doing a lot of these things that Ohio State fans have been chomping at the bit for Ryan Day and company to do all season. And it worked. It worked really well. It wasn't just bog standard running up the middle kind of stuff. They, I think I saw a fake flea flicker at one point. There was point. a fake flea flicker. They, they had a lot of really interesting stuff. And here's the thing. It, it's what I think is great about this uh, about this game. What was fun about watching this running game is that they did not get creative by going, okay, let's flip it to like you know. Well, in, in most games it would be a mecca, but obviously you don't have a mecca available. So in most games it'd be like, okay, well, we're just going to like pitch it to them and, and let them stretch it, and that's how we get creative. They didn't do that. They did a lot of different things. Xavier Johnson got involved, had a great – I mean, he was great in the running game. I mean, the guy ran – I mean, we talked about Dallin Hayden running for, you know, almost seven yards of carry. Xavier Johnson had five carries for 39 yards. So 
they they came up with some really interesting ways to get different guys involved. Uh, they were creative in their blocking schemes, all that kind of stuff. The play action looked really impressive. Um, it was just, I think, one of their most creative games in terms of play calls uh, that they had had all season. Um, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. got his, although a number of weird drops. So I, that dude's definitely going to hit the. Uh, it's not the jugs machine. What's the what's the, the machine? monarch is that's the, right. uh, scientific term. These that's days. right. He's going to the monarch machine. I'm sure he's hitting that up after the game, but still got his hundred yards uh, receiving. Cade Stover was out there hitting up. Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, both looking amazing. Um, it, this was a really fun game to watch offensively and the defensively. They just they locked Purdue down. That there was never a point in this game where I thought Purdue had anything really going on offense. Um, basically 250 yards total for them. Nothing doing on the ground. Absolutely nothing doing through the air. You got to worry a little bit, I think, about, um, you know, potential injuries. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. But uh, overall, man, I was I was really high on this game. This is, I, despite the fact that it was on Peacock and I had to watch it after the fact, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I was working and it was, you know, in a weird situation. All that being said, I think this was a really entertaining game. And well, Ohio State put on one of their most complete performances of the season. Before I get into my my response to it, because I largely agree with everything you said, but we should point out, you know, you're I'm sure you share many of the similar frustrations that uh, Mr. Rabinowitz does relative to the, the playback on Peacock. <laughs> ruining well, the I'm coveted at- Rabinowitz DVR That's session what I'm this saying. week. That's my point. I'm mad basically only for that reason. That, so that I, I met Bill Rabinowitz one time when I was an intern at Triumph Books in Chicago in 2015. And it was Fantastic. because he was in town uh, for Big Ten Media Days and he swung by the office to uh, see one of the publishers he worked with for uh, Ohio State's um, national championship book uh, because oh, yeah, this yeah. was in 2015. So they had literally just won the title. And I did introduce myself and I figured, oh, you know, he probably isn't going to remember me ever again. But now that I am within the Ohio State media atmosphere, if I ever do do get to meet Rabinowitz, no, I doubt he'll remember me. But I am going to I'm going to say, you don't you don't remember me, but we've met. And I got to tell you. I'm devastated you canceled the DVR review because of Peacock. You, you got to you got to grit your teeth and bite the bullet for the sake of the people. They right. need that breakdown. Toss I, in that six bucks. Watch. <laughs> and by the way, so that was the other thing. Like uh, Josh Perry, who I love, um, saying like, "Come on, man, it's six bucks." Like, hey, company man. I'm not paying six dollars. That man knows who I'm a, signs his checks. That's right. And you know what? More power to him. Um, so here's the thing. Funny things that happened in the game. Purdue missing three field goals. That was hilarious. And then um, the students, the students made like three of four inside of 40 yards in their punt pass and kick contest or whatever. That's hilarious. And the guy on scholarship misses all three from inside 40. Yeah. It's that, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, uh, a student made a 40-yard field goal. And honestly, at that point, if you know that your kicker is that down bad, I almost like feel that you have to cancel that <laughs> to it a different game because that is that was pretty pathetic. That was pretty uh, – I, I mean, I fell for the guy. I mean, it's one thing to go 0 for 3 in a situation where your team is just trying to get on the board. Because that's the other thing too. Like 
they weren't even trying to get back in the game at that point. They were just trying to get on back on the board, like get oh yeah, yeah. you got to get some confidence. And they, yes, and right. they couldn't even put points up, and that's like that. I remember when that happened when Ohio State was playing Clemson in the playoff, mm-hmm. and they got shut out. And when yeah. they missed the field goal to just break the zero, I was like, that that's it. Like this, that's the, when you can't even get on the board and break that zero. You're just it, it just completely deflates whatever like spark of momentum your team had at that point. Right. And the game, I think, I think the game largely became uncompetitive because of that. But at the same time, uh, you know, coming into this, Purdue was a team that in one of their only two uh, wins this year did put up 44 points on an (laughs) Illinois defense that is considered to be pretty good because of, you know, Brett Bielma and, you know, they just upset Maryland uh, this week also. So they've, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to turn their own season around on the heels of that performance. But Purdue at least was perceived to be better, I think, offensively than defensively, certainly. And Ohio State, once again, uh, showed that they're up to task, not only uh, in the confines of their own stadium, but then going out into the road. I know this is the third road game in Indiana somehow, and I know they're probably just you know, they're probably so eager to go on a fourth road trip to Indiana at the start of December. Uh (laughs) um, You know, they, they've proven at this point going into road environments, the defense can consistently perform. I do think that, and this is something that I I recognize that at least this is kind of my own speculation, just relative to what Michigan has done. They, they don't really, they like beating a lot of these teams that they can tell are worse than them in very vanilla fashion where they don't oh, sure, put yeah. a lot of their their playbook on display. I think right. perhaps you might have wanted that to kind of carry over for Ohio State into this game, but I think the abundance of injuries to the right. running backs and then Abuka not dressing probably created a situation where they say you know what we really need to execute with what we're more comfortable with and what has a little bit more flair than the kind of baseline stuff that we keep demonstrating so I think that probably explains why the playbook got opened up a little bit I can understand like why you don't want to do that until later in the season just so you know teams like Penn State that they're going to play this week or Michigan next month don't already have that available to them and you've got a greater amount of you know your hand that you haven't played so to speak sure so i over but that's not a reason to be discouraged by the result i no, i'm very I, very happy with the way they executed at every yeah. phase other than special teams which we're going to talk about yeah we'll, we'll talk about that in a second i will say this i can also see it from the opposite direction too where it's not such a bad thing to throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and force penn state to have to deal with it and, and prepare for it a little bit uh, because it was successful, right? Like it, it's one thing if you throw Devin Brown out there in red zone situations and it just looked like crap and it doesn't work. But he, I mean, it, that was a sensical game plan. Like what they were doing, you know, running them out. I, I love the the touchdown that he scored on because he could have just ran five yards to the right and like walked in, but it said, no, I'm, I'm hitting this linebacker right in the mouth. I don't care. Uh, that stuff works. And as a result, that's just another thing that Penn State has to prepare for this week. So I don't mind that so much. Um, You know, to me, again, that was fun to see. I don't know if they've got their full complement of players back next week that they go that crazy or they go that big. Uh, They may try to just win the most reliable way. And I think that's the way most, um, you know, college coaches think. But I really do hope that they stay creative and stay a little bit wild because 
it worked. And, you know, Dallin Hayden, man, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of debate. You know, Trey, Travion Henderson comes back against Penn State. You know, who's who should be the number one? Who should get all the carries? Dallin Hayden has looked consistently really, really good um, in every game that he's played. And I'm not saying he should be the number one or anything like that. I think Trayvon Henderson, you know, has that spot when he comes back. But if you're looking for a solid number two, um, I think he's got to be that dude. And is Mike Williams RB four? I I I think he's better than Chip when he's healthy. But I don't know. I but mean, Chip thing, is RB two. So are you saying Hayden is RB two when yeah, Chip isn't healthy? I think so. I mean, okay. honestly, just given what he's shown, I mean, and I know people don't want to burn his red shirt, but I'm like, go, you know, whatever, dude. Like, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta try well, to win now. I, I, I'm. I was curious about that. Like I voiced that concern while the game was happening, but I'm not sure what the rule is versus like, can they dress versus do they actually see the field? I think it's there. I think if they play four games, I believe. So they actually have to get on the field, not just dress. I believe Um, so. Okay. So, you know, in that case, I don't think we saw him before this game this season. Is that right? Maybe you play, maybe Youngstown state perhaps. Yeah. So that you get two more games where you can use him. Uh, and I don't know if that's including postseason games or whatnot, but I it I think it just comes down to what the health management situation is. At yeah. the beginning of the season, I was very optimistic that, and I spoke about how this team not only had a pair and a spare, which is the NFL standard, they had two pairs and two spares. I don't feel as confident saying that now based on what we saw from Evan Pryor this past weekend because, unfortunately, it does look like he's lost a step. Yeah, I mean, maybe another game will reveal something different, but I just I was not encouraged by what I saw and the touches that he had. I thought Xavier Johnson got – they gave him a little bit more rep in terms of running back, and I would like to see him use more as well. And right, then he had he had a really good reception too. I mean, we just haven't seen a lot of that this right. season, and I think that maybe you know as the playbook starts to get opened up, that he is his role is explored more within that offense. And yeah. I would especially appreciate that if we continue to see health problems plague Travion and Mayan Williams, and possibly even Chip going forward. Mm-hmm. But I think the depth at the skill positions for this offense is well established at this point, going back multiple years under Ryan Day, even under Urban Meyer. So I I continue to be impressed by how that is very rarely a pain point for this team over multiple seasons. And we're continuing to see that even as recently as the very last game. And I think that's a testament to a strong football program. Yeah, I mean, offensively especially. Um, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm worried a little bit about the Denzel Burke injury. Uh, I, You know, it feels like this coaching staff is really reticent to kind of give solid information about any of this stuff. And, you know, because the, <laughs> the narrative leading up to this was, oh, great, well, Trey, you know, Trey's going to be in this thing and, it's just a cautionary thing the previous week, and he's definitely full go. And then it's like, no, he's not playing. So I made Travion Henderson the theme of my article this week for the the betting right. angle, and then he, <laughs> you know, it was a push for everybody. So that's great. right, that's fun. Yeah. So as far as Burka, I mean, there's basically no information on this guy, and it sucks because he's having an incredible season, and. You know, they've they've got a lot of talented guys and they're, they're playing as a unit in the defensive secondary. It's not like they're just leaning super hard on them, but that would be a huge loss if he can't go. Um, 
and and who knows how long he might be out. So hopefully that's something that's not serious. That you know, if he can play against Penn State, that would be incredible. Uh, but nobody really knows what the deal is at this point. Um, I don't think they need him to beat Penn State, but it'll definitely make things easier. But um, he, he was kind of an unsung hero that game last year. That was like oh, yeah, one of his great. best performances on the road he's had at Ohio yeah. State, and it got totally overshadowed by because JT, yeah, right. JT went out and destroyed had one of the everybody. best performances in school history. So yeah. it's like you know, right. but they needed him last year. Uh, that being said, that means Penn State will have some good tape on him from last year that they can sure. use in you know scheming against him. But if he weren't available and they were to go through a guy like Hayden, I think Hayden has demonstrated at this point he's pretty consistently successful running the football. So I I wouldn't be upset at that. I won't be upset if they have Chip available. I won't be upset if they have Mayan available. Um, but, no. you know, I'm – it's like I said. I And it, I, I was making the point last week, um, you know, with how they were able to get Chip uh, to you know, pivot back into being a running back, and how that just uh, speaks to long-term confidence. It's the same thing here. They got hit by a, a a rash of injuries, very similarly to the way they did last year, where they had to be late in the season, suddenly going to a guy like Hayden again. Right. How many teams can go to their RB four and get reliable production out of that? Where I, I voted Hayden as player of the game. The only mistake he really made was not falling on the football, which is just <laughs> correcting someone else's mistake. Right, right. He was the best yeah. player on the offense, I thought. I would have said it was Marv, but he did have three drops, which was – Yeah, Marv had some drops, which is weird. And Kyle McCord, you know, you were talking about a little bit last week how you were a little bit nervous. I Kyle McCord, I don't think, had his best game, and a lot of people might overlook that a little bit. I still um, hate that he's not checking down the ball at all, but it's not like they're giving him like a reliable outlet for that either. I just well, don't like that, the way that he manages pressure. No, and that's a fair point because I, I've noticed that too, where it's like if you know if he doesn't see his first read open, he's still going to try to go to it anyway, which is usually Marvin Harrison. And like Marvin Harrison had some incredible catches against Purdue, um, but – you know, he, and not just Marvin, uh, Cade Stover on, uh, you know, one of the touchdowns that he had where he had to basically like reach behind himself to catch the the touchdown. And it was like, okay, dude, that's, that's the interception against like most other teams. Uh, he just, he seemed like he was playing really fast and loose. Um, and there were a lot of options, like you said, to, you know, a lot of not options, but a lot of opportunities to check down and take the safer pass. Devin and Brown had the best throw of the day. The one he did missed. actually. Yes, yeah, that was sick. I mean, right in stride. That, I mean, that now was... that one that he threw to Tate McCord was was a laser, but Tate was also like wide open. Ennis, Tate the was... way that Brown threw it, let him do that stutter step that Tate also right. tried to do, but got tackled on. Yeah, right. Which I love that. You know what's funny is that I know Brian Hartline is teaching this because it's something. It's something that he used to do when he was a wide receiver, where it's like if there's even a dude like within 10 feet of you like cradle the ball like it's like, like somebody's like like it's grim death like you Don't were holding get on peanut to that thing. punched man oh my that's god devastating i love psychologically I love, crippling for an open field runner i man. know and i just love how the wide receiver's like no no one's getting this and they just <laughs> they just hold it that just cracks me i up wish we I would that. see more of like the reggie bush behind the back ball switches which are actually like <laughs> right. it's so hard to do like but if you can it's like 
like kind of a better way of like moving, keeping the ball safe in certain situations. Oh, I sure. Just yeah. wish we would see more of them. Yeah. Brian Hartline was a great wide receiver at Ohio state and, and pretty good in the NFL. And he did not do that by being fancy. Let me, let's put it that way. He, he ball did it by being, security. That's right. Um, so anyway, like I said, overall, I think really fun game, really interesting. I love that you get the younger guys involved, um, guys that you don't normally see. One criticism, this is what we're going to talk about just briefly. This is one that I see, have seen a lot in the 11 Warriors slack. And initially I was like, God, you guys are like losing your minds a little bit on this. Like special teams are not that bad. You know, field goal kicking is perfect. Who cares about the rest? And then I'm like looking at it a little bit more. And then I'm watching, you know, like the the replay of the game on Saturday, like, uh, yeah, I can kind of see it, <laughs> like especially with punt returns, both Ohio State trying to return punts and then allowing punt returns from other teams. Uh, in both instances, I think Ohio State is somewhere hovering around like ranked 100th in the country in terms of like yards allowed on punt returns, then also yards produced from punt returns. Uh, that's pretty bad. And, you know, just inconsistent stuff, you know, missing an extra point. Uh, it just feels sloppy. And that's at this point in the season, you start to notice those things a little bit more, I think. Yeah, I we were talking about it a bit pre-show that we were willing to be somewhat forgiving. We thought the criticism was a little bit extreme, but then against yeah. a team like Purdue where you should be having a, a get-right um, session, so to speak, and you continue to find creative ways to nearly allow punts to get blocked uh, yeah, yeah. And, and other mistakes, it's just... Uh, it makes you nervous when you're about to face an opponent like Penn State, who just had a uh, punt returner right. uh, had to go to the house twice in the same game and get Big Ten Player of the Week honors. So it doesn't inspire confidence for how they're going to handle that against Penn State. It's disappointing that you know, growing up, I I had special teams like attention to that ingrained in my like philosophy about football so the punt is the most important play in the football game he's not wrong no Uh, jim trestle ingrained that into my (laughs) childhood perception of the sport and so when we went into the urban meyer era and we gradually saw you know less and less spectacular play in that department particularly in terms of like kicking accuracy on field goals it was uh it it was a letdown as an ohio state fan one of the few things that let me down about the urban meyer era as a as a fan of ohio state it's a little sad right i believe tragically that is somewhat carried over into this era with ryan day it is unfortunately represented in what happened with noah ruggles last year where the guy was perfect the whole time and then in the one moment that they really needed it, and again, the kicker, you know, they had to rush out to get it, the right, kickoff in right. time and whatever. But again, the moment you really need it the most and one of the most spectacularly bad misses. Yeah, I, if there's <laughs> if there's a worse miss in the play, in the college football playoff like ever, I'll, I'll be surprised. Like and, I, was, and my heart and my heart bad. hurts for that because he was such a good kicker prior to that but it just speaks to the the aura of kind of stink that has existed with special teams i think over the last decade with this program that really really does need to get rectified i'm not confident it's going to happen this weekend i'm actually worried given the history of 
Penn State beating Ohio State because of goofy special teams gaffes like <laughs> block field goals that get returned right. for touchdowns. That's right. I'm actually right. very nervous about how that's going to play out this weekend. And so we may have to get some sort of J. Jonah Jameson soundbite for every time there's a gaff, so we can play <laughs> every time there's a screw up. Yeah, it, you know, I agree with you that it is kind of sad that it is like less of a point of emphasis, and in part because of the way the offenses have you know traditionally been performing for the past ten years or so. But, um, I, you know, the big thing for me is just. Against teams like Purdue, I mean, I, I, I'm going back to like the punting thing, you know, where, you know, returns and whatnot against teams like Purdue, who cares against teams like Penn State, like you can't give them 10 free yards every time there's a punt. You know what I mean? Like it, it just feels like you're giving the opponent an extra first down because you're not able to, you know, get down there, get the tackle that like that has to get locked up because that's as big a part of a defense as I think anything else that they do yeah. because you've got it's about field position. You're trying to figure out how to manage that and and control that aspect of the game. And it I think it's deflating honestly when you have, you know, a defense that has been performing really, really, really well. Like, I mean, I think this is legitimately like a top five defense right now, the way they're playing and how no they're doubt. playing as a unit. No doubt. But when they're, if you're put in a position of having to defend, uh, you know, you know, an opponent starting at their own forty yard line versus starting on their own thirty or starting on their own thirty instead of their own twenty, that's a huge difference in terms in of how of you inches, approach stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, and and how you have to approach things like blitzing or coverages, all that stuff, it just changes so much, and it puts more pressure than they really uh, should be dealing with. So I hope that's something that get tightened up uh, this weekend. We'll see how that goes. Um, I think Ohio State's got a pretty good shot at this thing. Um, it, it's 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 going to be tough. I think Penn State's got an excellent defense. I'm not that worried about their offense. I but, ain't afraid um, of frames, Janklin. Yeah, that's the thing. Like they still got the same coach, so <laughs> a guy who's like I don't even want to call him like Thanos, but he's definitely got this propensity for self destruction where it's just like he can't he can't help himself. Ohio like, okay. State is his boogeyman. It's just it, I, I agree with that. I, I think that he locks up against the Buckeyes. And, um, well, I would, I would be very happy to see that continue um, this weekend. So I don't that's think kind he's of, beaten them in Columbus yet. I don't. I mean, Penn State hasn't beaten Ohio State in Columbus since 2011. Um, there you go. So it's been a minute. And, uh, yeah, it's. He was still <laughs> Ohio, telling lies at Vanderbilt back then, I think. That's right. He? Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you know, they basically they've Penn State's only beaten Ohio State once uh, since 2012, 2012, 2013, 2014. And it was 15, because 16. of a blocked field goal returned for a touchdown. That's right. And so Ohio State's, like I said, like you said, definitely has to keep that on lockdown. Special teams. It's a theme in this rivalry, and it's That's not right. slanted towards Ohio State. <laughs> <laughs> Who care? You know what? Fine. Ohio State just has to win by 50. I was just warning you, man. Parker, if we think the Parker criticism is bad right now, after this weekend, win or lose, there's going to be some kind of gaffe where people are like, get get him out of Columbus right now. It's fine. I'm just saying they got to win by 50, and then his job will be – he'll be off the hot seat. So they'll miss four field goals, and it'll be fine. So – because they'll win by a hundred points. All right. So that was our reflections on, uh, on Purdue. And, you know, I, again, I would say probably at this point, the, the most complete game that they had played top to bottom. 
um, you know, in terms of just offense, defense looking good. So optimistic about that, optimistic about Penn State going forward. We're going to get into Ask Us Anything, uh, but before we do that, we do want to uh, listen to our sponsor, One Medical. The best defense is a good offense, and that goes for your health, too. That's why One Medical, the modern doctor's office, is changing the playbook for primary care. With four C-Bus locations and 24-7 virtual care, One Medical helps Buckeye stay healthy. And the relationship with OSU's Wexner Medical Center makes it easy to get access to specialists. To get your 30-day free trial, visit onemedical.com and use the code TRY1MCOL. That's T-R-Y, the number one, M-C-O-L. All right, that was One Medical. Thank you so much for continuing to sponsor the 11 Dubcast. We want to go ahead and get into our favorite part of the show, which, of course, is Ask Us Anything. I want to remind you that you can ask us literally anything by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. It may, it may be the uh the football season but that doesn't mean you can't ask us whatever crazy goofy thing that you want because you know that's within reason of course well (laughs) that's why within reason uh that's that would be safe for work i guess uh we'll start with this one from our good friend alvin and this is just kind of a reflection We, we touched on it briefly but do we like or dislike the peacock network how do you, how do you feel about this setup? I mean, it's inevitable. It's we can't the le- change it's it. It's the least impressive of the major streaming services. I gotta say, man. I so watching again. I didn't watch it live. Which is saying something because Paramount Plus sucks. It's pretty bad. Um, but Peacock in general, I, I don't have many opinions on that. I, I will say though that the game presentation from what I saw was pretty freaking poor. It, I mean, the the quality, the camera quality, which is something that you know, can be bad occasionally on the networks. I thought it was great. Commentary was bad. Uh, I thought the the camera angles that were chosen in the production booth were not very good. Just everything seemed a little amateurish. I did it not like the production. It wasn't quite up to the standard of Sunday night football or Big Ten Saturday <clears throat> night. So, yeah, that no. was a bit of a letdown. I thought, I thought for Ohio State they would have, you know, Big Ten Saturday night quality production, but that definitely wasn't the case, which I think speaks to, you know, kind of the cheapening of the product that we've discussed as a, a thing, yeah. you know, going back to the last off season. Yeah, and, and the whole thing was like, oh, well, it's it's Ohio State football. You rubes are going to buy this no matter what. We can just throw it at our B team. And it's like, you got to put in a little effort, ideally. Well, that's what Josh um, Perry thinks. That's right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Josh. We love you. It's it's okay. Fellow it's okay. 11 Warriors contributor, Josh Perry, we That's love right. you and we'd love to have you back. That's right. It's okay to be. I'll, a I'll throw man. you, I'll Venmo you $6 if you come back on the podcast. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, I, I mean, again, I, I think it was fine, but it, if you're trying to convince people that they can just make the make make the leap to streaming and then I'll just be, you know, six and one half does the other. I don't think that's quite the case yet. You really have to up your game a little bit. And it just didn't feel like they did that. Um, all right. Next year, we got a question from Kevin who says, guys, I think for the Penn State game, we should wear all scarlet no matter where we are or what we are doing. What do you think? Uh, I guess to counter the the you know the whiteout and whatever it is, if it's at Penn State, I I, I think personally that Ohio State should have kept up the blackout theme with Penn State. I thought that was a lot of fun when they did it the first time. I didn't like the camo gray stuff. I thought that was dumb, but the idea of like a blackout to counter the gray out is something that I always 
thought was a cool idea and they should have kept up. And if you're going to play Penn State, I mean, you can't always decide whether it's a night game. And, you know, we'll get into that a little bit because there was a night game announcement um, here recently. But um, there are a lot of ways to make college football cool and to lean into the coolness of it. And it feels like sometimes teams and networks and all that decide not to do that. They, they swerve away from the fun thing. And I always hate that. I hate that they do that. Uh, I understand why you want to have a, you know, a big noon kickoff, you know, with Ohio state and Penn state, but there are ways to make it fun and exciting. And it, it just feels like sometimes the broadcast decisions don't allow for that. that well, we talked about last week, how it's like, why is it that every time Ohio state goes on the road against like a, <laughs> a, a winning record opponent, Oh, yeah, they get pivoted to a night game. Right, gotta be and we're going to talk about it later, but it literally just happened with Wisconsin, too. Yeah. So, right. it, it, I mean, it, it continues to be the theme. And we were saying if Penn State, like, you know, if the roles were reversed, this they would be getting boosted to a night, a night game. And I don't think it would be – I mean, I don't know if they could do big noon kickoff or a night game the way they do game day for, like, you know, nighttime uh, college football games. But it – um. Yeah, it is surprising that you know they they just keep siloing Ohio State into these daytime performances. Now that well, being said, I don't really know how you dress up the the shoe into a you know a whiteout type atmosphere in terms of the night. I just don't think that advantage exists for the way the stadium is built, and that's something that yeah. players like Matt Barkley that have come to Ohio Stadium and want, have won as you know quarterbacks of major programs in the past they've spoken to how that that advantage just it isn't there i think it's just because of how it's built and the way the sound is able to escape and get out you're just not going to get an equal kind of environment the way you would to like a death valley or a happy valley so just don't don't worry about striving for that. And your color scheme isn't really going to do anything for that either. The coolest thing you can do is just get your all your fans on the same page doing the same thing. And, and you know, when everybody's doing that, you know, they put their fingers up for third down and they're playing the intro to Hell's Bells. And I, I mean, that, that uh, enough for me when everybody is like directing their voice down onto the field at the players, they feel that. They yeah. feel the energy of all those people rooting against them, making the same noise, pointing at them. That it, and that's something that can carry over to like every stadium. But when you roll 107,000 deep the way that Ohio Stadium does, it makes a big <laughs> difference relative to you know a lot of these other smaller states, particularly like you know the NFL ones in a lot of cases don't even measure up to the college football. Oh, sure. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, the thing about Ohio State fans is like trying to get everybody to do anything in mass is like hurting cats. Like it's, it's not, it's like, it's interesting because, you know, you go out to like Iowa and you see some of the stuff that they do that's coordinated. And it's like, okay, guys, this is like a small community. We're all going to get on board. We're all going to reinforce, you know, what each other are doing. Yeah, we can barely get people to spell four letters and two of them are the same. Right. And so, that's why I was so impressed by the blackout when it happened the first time. Cause I was like, there was no going into it. I was like, there's no way in hell, right? There's no way people are going to forget it happened. There's just too many people. Ohio state fans are too mercurial. They're just going to do whatever. <laughs> um, and instead everybody showed up in black and it was sick and it was an awesome environment. Uh, but you have to have very specific conditions to allow that to happen. And, 
you know, I, the scarlet out the shoe, like that's fine. Um, I mean, most fans wear like, you know, a uniform or some variation of it anyway, right? They wear their jersey, which some people make fun of, but I think it's actually kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's just interesting to see how those decisions are made and, and, and how it kind of reflects on the games that they're playing. So hopefully it's a great, I mean, I, I think it'll be a great environment. I think it'll be a big thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where you want to recapture some of that magic that you see on TV, as you said, George, when Ohio state goes on the road <laughs> at night so often. Um, and, and look, the decisions that are made specifically when we talk about like the big noon kickoff, it's because Ohio state has shown over and over and over again that they can play anybody on that big nooner and get tons and tons of, of, uh, people watching the game. And so as a result, Fox and everybody else is like, well, then shoot. <laughs> like, we're putting Ohio State on that noon slot because we can guarantee big ratings, whereas if we put anybody else there, we can't. So unfortunately, I think that's what leads Ohio State to getting saddled with a lot of that, whereas it's like, okay, well, they're going to be on the road. Let's do the night game because then it's you know less of a guarantee. And to that I point, guess. I think we should actually be a little bit grateful for Michigan because we'd never get an afternoon or an evening time slot with Fox. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a great point as well. So that's us, ask us anything. Thank you for sending those questions in. And uh, you know, as long as you send them and keep asking them, we'll keep answering them. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the national scene. I want to start with USC um, getting just absolutely annihilated. <laughs> By Notre Dame. Delicious. And I think everybody saw this coming at some point, right? USC has a very, very backloaded schedule. If it wasn't going to be Notre Dame, it was going to be Washington or Oregon or somebody else. Um, Caleb Williams looked like crap through three interceptions. And Notre Dame, I mean, huge bounce back win for that team. I think they really needed it at that point. They were, you know, kind of on the verge of sliding out of the top 25. Uh, they didn't look great, but... USC's defense is just apocalyptically bad and it's increasingly funny <laughs> watching watching them attempt to play uh, defense on a game-to-game basis because it, it they are certainly beyond the point to which Caleb Williams can bail them out um, it's pretty funny I had an argument with a Bears fan today that wants the Bears to move on from Justin Fields and Caleb Williams. Well, he's stupid. And I'm asking <laughs> why. Caleb yeah. Williams just lost. And he yeah. was bad. Like, it's not, it was not only the defense. The the Alex Grinch didn't throw three interceptions and take no. six sacks. The biggest criticism people have of Justin Fields is that the hero complex, he keeps holding on to the ball too much. And taking too many sacks, and that's part of the reason why he just got hurt and, and screwed up his thumb is because he's not getting the ball out quick enough and is dealing with too much of the pressure. But you just saw Caleb Williams have the same issue because he's doing the the J.J. McCarthy routine with be oh, I'm so elusive in the parking pocket, they'll never catch me. And then, oh, well, eventually you play a defense that's actually worth their weight in salt and – Look what happens. So, well, and not only that, but if you – this isn't like, you know, Caleb Williams, it's not like he just had one terrible game. He did not play well against Arizona the previous week. Um, you know, he only threw one touchdown against them. He In the past two games, he's thrown two touchdowns and three interceptions. What is the most impressive win of his college football career? 
Yeah, I mean that's a great quote we were talking about. I, I know what it boarding. is. I, I it's it's the Valero Alamo Bowl when he was at Oklahoma against right. Tulane. Right. He has not won a conference championship. He has not won a game of consequence. Yeah. And that's I, and it, you know, and that's I think that's pretty damning to his whose resume. I mean, yeah, he wins the high. He hasn't last been year. to the college football playoff and he's being he's being called the next John Elway. Right. A lock for the number 1 pick. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think he puts up huge numbers. I think he's got good skill players around him, and obviously in the system that he you know plays in, he's going to put up a lot of yards. But he has a propensity to try to do a little too much hero ball, and against Notre Dame, he got into a lot of trouble. They were pressuring him, and I don't know. It, it's just one of those things where it's like it, it feel it felt inevitable, right? That it was going to happen at some point during the season. I am um, a little surprised it happened in Notre Dame because they their offensive struggles were somewhat well documented, especially coming out of the Ohio State game. Yeah, but Sam Hartman actually hasn't been that great. <laughs> that that result, though, I mean, that makes Ohio State look so good now because I oh, mean, yeah. it was Notre Dame stock was. Go, was plummeting and this is just completely salvaged the resume i think for ohio state at this point i think by the end of the season it, it looks certainly especially you know depending on what happens this weekend but just mm-hmm. notre dame was a nice early pillar for them that it's since kind of fallen out of favor and this i think has it, it was the best result ohio state could have asked for not only relative to what's happening in the near future but also relative to just preserving Archie Griffin's legacy in the Heisman Trophy, you would have to imagine Caleb Williams needs to blow the doors off in completely unforeseen fashion the rest of the way to get back into the Heisman race, particularly with Michael Penix Jr. looming. I was about to say, I I feel like, yeah, I I mean, unless he comes out and throws for 500 yards every game and then they go out and he out-duels Penix, I I think that's pretty much done for him, Um, which good because I want Archie to be the only two-time Heisman winner. Forever. Um, Forever. So uh, that was funny. Colorado had an incredibly epic collapse that no one watched except for me. Uh, (laughs) I was up because my son woke up um, late at night. Uh, He was, you know, lost his pacifier. I don't know, some kind of thing. And uh, I was like, well, I'm up. So let's let's see the end of this, <laughs> you know, Stanford, uh, Colorado game. And it was hilarious. And it, it, the, the funny thing is, is that I think there are moments um, during a lot of Colorado's games where you kind of become acutely aware that a lot of these guys are transfers. Um, and what I mean by that is that they're not really on a coherent team. Sometimes they're just kind of like individual dudes just kind of doing their own thing. And if they're not doing their own thing, like at a high level, they look kind of lost. And Stanford looked like a coherent team. They had a dude, one of my favorite stats from that game is that I think, I forget the name of the the wide receiver who had like 300 some yards um, receiving in that game. But he has more yards receiving in that one game than any Iowa wide receiver has had the entire season. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty great. And um yeah, it was just it was a blowout. Deion Sanders comes out and says that his t- entire team is trash and they hate football. So Io was Manor was the uh, Stanford receiver, I believe. Uh, there you go. Had all those yards, and uh, I couldn't help but notice because 
I woke up Saturday morning, and the first thing I saw when I opened <laughs> my phone was the catch that that guy had over Travis Hunter, which is it, it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah, every every year or every week this year, there's been a catch of the year candidate. It's kind yeah. of crazy. Uh, we that saw one was like one, off his back, right? Like where he just right. Like, it was yeah. it, it, it was unbelievable. He pinned it against the back of Travis Hunter's helmet. It yeah, was the and then ripped thing. it. And then and then spun himself around without going out of bounds in a way where he was able to like carry their momentum into the end zone. But yeah. the the thing I thought was very interesting about that was, you know, for all the sensationalism of of Colorado and the um, the amazement of this result when they were showing the highlights on college game day the next day, you know, for the first, it's the opening story on game day. Cause it happened Friday night. Right. And this is Dion. And if Colorado wins this game, Colorado hits their projected win total for the season on the betting market. So this was very much viewed as like a, Oh, Colorado's like they've locked it in at this point. This is a big story that means a lot to a lot of people. And in recapping the result, they showed all of Travis Hunter's positive highlights. Right. But they left out this catch of the year candidate <laughs> because it was literally Travis Hunter getting mossed. Right. Right. Isn't yeah. that interesting? That's pretty messed up. Why do you leave out a play of that caliber just because well, it happened to a player of that large of a profile? Yeah. Really? Is that the direction that we're headed relative to these media companies and who the faces of this sport are? Because that's pretty disappointing. That's a huge moment for a guy like Io Manor, and he can't promote himself as effectively because he's getting shut out in the promotional interests of a guy that's presumed to have more NIL clout like Travis Hunter. That was well, a business decision by ESPN. There's no other reason to leave that out. And the thing about Io Manor is that, I mean, <laughs> stats-wise, this is a guy who, you know, he's coming in, right? His, I think his first year. He had basically no – I mean, he, he had a couple games where he was doing all right, right? He, he had, like, against Sacramento State, he had almost 90 yards. Uh, this is, like, his breakout game, right? This is the game where it's, like, this is a dude who could be a star in the future, and he definitely was not featured that way, and that's – that's that's disappointing. I agree with that. That's pretty disappointing. Um, last thing here, national scene. This is, I think, I don't know that it's uh, immediate concern for the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, but Brock Bowers, their their tight end, leading receiver, um, has a high ankle sprain. They're going to do some surgery to stabilize his ankle. Not sure exactly how long he'll be out. Maybe like four to six weeks. But like that's a big loss for that team. And particularly, I mean, on offense like that, he is a gigantic part of what they do. Um, they don't have a difficult schedule. I mean, they're, they're, you know, their schedule is about as booty as, as we've seen, you know, even in light of Michigan's, but uh, that's a big loss for them. I'm curious to see how that impacts, you know, college football races in the SEC, especially going well, forward. Well, they had a lot of those early season gaffes where, you know, they were kind of able to turn it on in the second half. But to yeah. your point, I haven't watched them extensively of late, but if so much of their success runs through, a, this is the problem when you construct your team around a niche skill position player like that. And it's one of the reasons why I'm glad Ohio State hasn't just 
fully lean all the way into force feeding targets to Harrison and they've tried it to round out the offense well is that you if you suddenly lose that production due to injury you don't have a contingency plan you have you lose your direction for right. that season and right. so Georgia out of desperation if they really have constructed this offensive identity that revolves around a uniquely athletically gifted and experienced tight end that is suddenly no longer available, your postseason run is very much in jeopardy here. And that's kind of how I feel about Michigan too, where it's like, oh, yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like Jay, and here's the thing: it's not Blake Corum. Blake Corum has been fine this year, but he hasn't been amazing. He's been okay. I mean, Donovan Edwards has been complete trash. And thank you, by the way, George, for linking me that that video. I had missed that during the Michigan game where Donovan Edwards tried to call his own uh, shot at the goal line. And then they, they took a timeout to pull him out, to pull him out of the to game. pull him out because they did not trust him to get uh, a couple of yards for a touchdown. Harbaugh needs his troops to get in line. That's, that was so funny. And like, I don't know, man, after that, like that is gotta be one of the most demoralizing things. He did get a touchdown later in the game. And I'm sure people are pointing that out to me as we speak on Reddit, but um revolutionizing the position is uh forcing yeah, he has not done to that. burn a timeout because you want your first touchdown of the season and refuse <laughs> right. to step off the field that's right for a better player um it's actually jj mccarthy who is playing really really well and but is afraid to get hit which is why he runs out of bounds backwards and also takes a lot of sacks weirdly like he tries yeah, to do for too his much. slippery reputation yeah he has some of the similar caleb williams justin fields problem with that and that's what's really interesting because he's been hyper accurate this year uh, i think he's there's no question he's been a really good leader he's great on third down uh good downfield vision all that kind of stuff uh, has a really good connection with roman wilson but like Michigan's offensive line is not good enough this year for him to be that silly with the ball and the and you know just running around silly he is being kind of silly and and when they have to play uh Penn State and then Maryland and then Ohio State in succession I am really curious to see how that ends up playing out because again he's been great but but if if he starts playing to the point where it's like hero ball and he can do anything it happened against you know, Bowling Green of all teams, uh, that can get him in trouble really quick. So right now I feel like Michigan's uh, fortunes really rest on his shoulders and they could ride him to a championship. I don't, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I also think it's equally possible that they lose uh, two games in November and are out of it. So we'll see how that plays out. I think that'll be really interesting. Let's talk real quick about um, Ohio State. So there's some quick hitters here before we get out. So uh, first of all, game day is coming to Columbus. That's no shock. Um, you know, Penn State at Ohio State. That's a big game. Of course, you're going to have, you know, game day there. Hopefully, guest picker will not be uh, Jack Harlow. <laughs> I don't know if anybody Encore. remembers that. <laughs> I, I don't, I have not heard. First of all, I had not heard of Jack Harlow before uh, last time at game well, day. Well, that's just because you're, you're not with it anymore, John. That's true. Mr. Mr. MF Doom supremacist that's over right. here. While that's right. The hottest rapper in the game, Jack Harlow, is gracing the stage <coughs> in Columbus, and you're so unplugged at this point, you can't even pay tribute to all his 
curly-haired goodness while he mumbles into the microphone as as Buckeye Coed shriek across campus. I know. Well, and you know what? I hadn't I hadn't heard of him beforehand. I haven't thought of him since. So I mean, that's on me, I guess. Yeah. So um, he's gonna be back this weekend for sure. Then I hope so. Fingers crossed. So <laughs> game day's coming to Columbus. As we discussed briefly earlier, Wisconsin's going to be a night game. Great. Uh, however, they're going to be without their quarterback, and I think Ohio State is absolutely going to steamroll uh, the Badgers. So that's not something that I think really is going to keep me up at night. No, um, Fickle's out for blood. He, You know what? He would love I'm, – I'm, I'm sure he would love to win that game. I'm sure that's that would be huge for him, but they – you know, Wisconsin lost to Iowa 15-6, uh, to 6, which – God, that's humiliating. <laughs> and then, and then of course you lose your um, you lose your quarterback Tanner Mordecai. So I feel like they're really really hurting. I think Ohio State's going to you know destroy Wisconsin in that game. So not, I would like to see it. I would too. I would not be sad about that. And then finally, uh, you know something that we got to talk about because this is an eleven Warriors announcement. Uh, the eleven Dubgate, eleven Dubgate, eleven. Has been oh announced. my God! It's the eleven Dubgate. That's right, the eleven Dubgate, and the eleven Dubgate. Um, first of all, if, if you're familiar at all with um, you know eleven Warriors bangers, uh, tailgate or otherwise, Ohio State does very very well uh, when we hold one of these. So it's to benefit the Special Olympics. We want you all to come out. We're going to be behind the varsity club, big party. Everybody's going to be there. We're going to have all kinds of fun sponsors. Um, uh, we strategically but, chose a game in which Ohio State would be playing a, a team that would fire its coach midseason. So <laughs> that's we, right. we saw the writing on the wall. That's right. But you got Dirty Franks out there. You got some land grant. Um, you know, it's it's like I said, it's going to be to benefit the Special Olympics, which is an incredible. Awesome, awesome organization. We're really happy to be, um, you know, supporting them. And you so can come if, air your grievances at all the eleven Warriors staff and mods that ban you from the forums. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wear a name tag that just has uh, George's name, and then like <laughs> George will wear a name tag with my name, and we're just gonna see who's more hated. That'd be great. So anyway, if you're interested. Uh, at all in helping out the Special Olympics or the 11 Dubcast or the Dubgate or 11 Warriors as a website, um, come on out and support it. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll be really good. And like I said, Ohio State's undefeated in all of these things. So good time, great time. Check it out. So that's the Dubcast for this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm excited for the Penn State game. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not nervous. I think I'm in a pretty calm. Uh, stay right now. I want to see some of these injuries pan out uh, in, in a positive way, but I'm feeling pretty confident about going in this weekend. So just mentally prepare yourself for a very special special teams performance. That's, that's right. There, there, there may be a couple of those where you want to tear your hair out. But other than that, I think it'll be good. So we'll be back next week to dice, uh, dissect that and discuss it and break it all down. Uh, but until then, I'm Johnny. I'm George, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Folks.